Well, good morning, Hoffman Town. It is great to be back. It is great to be home. Hoffman Town is home, amen? Hopefully more and more of us are understanding that and beginning to have that resonate in our life. And in case you're wondering, Hoffman Town is home. Come on home. It's a great place to be. And uh, we're so glad that we're here. And uh, I'm excited as we begin the book of Jonah today. And so we're going to jump right in. I know you had a great Sunday. Last Sunday, I thank my friend Steve Ballou for preaching. Um, I don't quite have the energy he has. I don't know if you noticed. That guy was, you know, running around and stuff. That's why he's in such good shape, I guess. I don't know. But so good to, to hear about the reports from last Sunday, and it is good to be home. Got a confession to make to you this morning. Not from vacation. I didn't get a ticket or anything. But I dislike running. You probably cannot tell that by looking at my finely tuned body. Why are you laughing? Okay. Now, Steve, last week, he's a runner, you can tell, but, but I dislike running. In fact, my wife and others that I know have told me about this thing out there called a runner's high. Have you ever heard of that? Have you heard of a runner's high? It must be an urban legend because I have never found this runner's high. What about you? Maybe you have, maybe you haven't. Listen, I have run two 5Ks in my lifetime, and I want to just go ahead and share something with you. I don't intend to ever participate again in one of those things, running. I don't know. They, I, in my opinion, they might be a, a scheme of the devil. I don't know but I don't like running. Well, in this sermon series that we're entering into today, we're going to be looking at different kinds of running. I want you to think about this. See if this resonates with you, with your family, with your life, your experience. Running away from God? Running back to God? Running with God? Maybe even running ahead of God. What a picture we get from Jonah's life and ministry, and that will be our guide. Let me ask you to do something. As we get started this morning, would you just take a moment and reflect and evaluate? Evaluate yourself, evaluate your family for a moment. What is it, what do you run towards? Now, there is a great commercial out there. It's very motivational. It's very uh, inspirational to me. It's a United States Marine Corps uh, commercial. Have you seen it? And the tagline kind of is this, uh, as everyone's running away, we're running too. And it's a, it's a battlefield. And I'm like, sign me up. Well, I, they, they wouldn't take me. <laughs> but it, it's, a, it's just a thought of running too. What, what is it? In the spiritual realm, in, in, the, in the family, in the relationships, in the job and our, everything, what are you running towards? Let me ask you another question of evaluation. What do you run away from? For some, it's fears, maybe something that's difficult. Have you ever had a project that's difficult and you just kind of run away from it? But then once you get going, you know, this, it's not quite as bad. You eat it one bite at a time. Yeah. What do we run, run towards? What do we run away from? Or maybe the most difficult question for us today is this. Are we wanting to run our own life? Are we wanting to run our own family? Are we wanting to run our universe? Isn't that a little bit of that in us? You know, we want to control it. 
God, I got this my way. I got this. Things to think about. Here's my prayer as we get into Jonah. I want to read to you. You remember Hebrews chapter 11, that great uh, hall of fame, the great hall of faith, all those examples. And then we get to Hebrews 12, the first two verses, and it reflects, I think, right back to chapter 11. Here's my prayer for us. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy, and that's an interesting word, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. And that's my prayer for us, is that we would have the endurance to run the race that is set before us. We've entitled this sermon series, Runner. I think you figured that out by now. As we look at this life and this ministry, we'll see all those different ways of running, and we will evaluate ourselves. Here's a big idea for you to get uh, for the whole book, but even a little bit today, is this. God's the one who reaches out. If you want to write something down, write this down. God reaches out to us. It's God. And we'll see that in this great narrative. God reaches out to us. And here's the second part. He shows grace to all. I'm tired of hearing about uh, people's ideas and attitudes and thoughts and isms and everything. Listen. God's grace, Jesus died for all. His grace goes to all. If Nineveh can have a shot, Lamar can have a shot. Amen? Your neighbor, your family member, your enemy even can have a shot. Listen, God is the one who reaches out, and he's the one who shows grace to all. Let's pray. Lord, speak to us today from your word. Not my words, but yours. Thank you for how you reach out to us. Thank you so much, God, that you love us and you have grace and mercy for us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we're going to do something a little different this morning. We're going to do a little background. Go ahead. Some of you are going to go, ugh. Ugh, you're not a background person. You'd rather just get right into it. We are going to get to three verses this morning. But we're going to do some background. There's three things I want us to think about this morning as we do a quick background to this little book, and it's this. Number one is I think there's a disclaimer. I need to talk about what's resonating and what's going around in some people's heads, especially some liberals' heads, and here we go. Regrettably, when we mention Jonah, many people only think of, guess what? A great fish, right? Many people only think of a great fish. It's a kid's story. A great fish who swallowed a man, when they think of this book, that's what they think of. Yet if we do a careful study of the book of Jonah, we find out the book of Jonah reveals not a great fish, but the great God, our God, who is all-powerful, all-wonderful, and all-merciful. We will see these themes as we look at this book. G. Campbell Morgan said it best when he said this, and I quote, Men have been looking so long at the great fish that they have failed to see the great God. It's been true in my life. What about you? 
We see a miracle or something amazing and miraculous, mysterious even in Scripture, and we focus on that and we forget. God is the main character. God is the main actor of Scripture. God is the hero. I don't care what book you're in. It is God. It is God. It is God. So as we just have this disclaimer going on, think, please, more than just a great fish. You see, the book of Jonah helps and challenges us to respond to God's will. This is a great theme in this book, is the theme of God's will versus our will. God's way versus our way. The book, for those of you who want to know, contained 48 verses. And God's mentioned 38 times. Jonah is found 18 times. The great fish is only mentioned four times. So we need to have good perspective here. Now, some would say, and some might even teach, that this is an allegory. Jonah is an allegory. And I I don't have time to go into a lot of details, but I just want to give you a theological response to that. No. No. Some think that Jonah is a parable. I don't know where they get that from, because names are named and stuff. And again, all my seminary studies, here's the word. No, no. This is not, I I don't believe, and and conservative scholars would agree with me, many would, that it's not, it's much more than an allegory, no, or a parable. I, I would say this is a biblical prophetic narrative. It really happened. It's not just put in there, God wants it in there, but it's not just put in there as a good story. Or for a kid's song, Jonah and the Whale, there's more to it than that, okay? So be thinking about that. It's not history for history's sake. God never does just history for history's sake. This book is, I believe, didactic. What does that mean? It means the story is told to teach us, the reader, key lessons. Those readers and hearers for the first time, and even now, these thousands of years later, for us as readers, it's didactic. It's going to teach us some lessons. How how do we know this? Well, it's didactic because we see the repeated use of questions. In fact, there's 14 questions. 11 out of 14 questions are addressed to Jonah. We can put ourselves in his shoes and try to answer these questions. And the question that closes the narrative leaves readers asking themselves how they will respond to the story. It is extremely rare that a book of the Bible ends with a question. That's a little trivia question for you. You can go research that and see how many there are. Not hardly any. So there's even a question at the end. So are we good with that? Can we move on from the disclaimer? Biblical prophetic narrative. Secondly, we need to look at reliability. And uh, sometimes scientists or Highly educated people or skeptics or just very liberal people would say, there's no way that could have happened. I can't prove that. Let me remind you, the Bible is full of the miraculous. God is the God of miracles, amen? The greatest miracle that's ever happened was when God saved me, when God saved you. He's the God of the miraculous he's also the god of the mysterious we may not understand everything but guess what someday we're going to be in heaven face to face with jesus and we're going to have that glorified body i believe the glorified mind we're not going to be bound by time and space boy do you feel bound by that i have really felt bound by time and space lately but you know he's the the beginning the end alpha and omega he's the same yesterday today and tomorrow all that stuff 
someday in eternity. But let me just say this about the reliability of the the book, because some people would say, is it true? Well, we see right off the bat that Jonah is the son of Amittai, and Scripture speaks to that. You can look up 2 Kings 14.25. It says the same thing. It's not just a parable. It's not just a story. Jonah, I believe, was a contemporary of King Jeroboam of Israel. You remember those times after they had kings and they got the northern kingdom, the southern kingdom? That's about 790 to 750. Historical fact. How about this? If you have any questions about the reliability of the book, let's move to exhibit A, Jesus Christ. In Matthew 1240, Jesus believed that Jonah was real and the story was authentic. Listen to the words of Jesus. For as Jonah was in the belly of a huge fish three days and three nights, so the Son of Man, that's Jesus' favorite term for himself, the Son of Man will be in the heart of the earth three days and three nights. Is that clear enough? That's the words of Jesus. In fact, Jonah is the only prophet to whom Jesus directly likened himself to. Listen to the words of Jesus again, Luke eleven thirty. This is what Jesus said. For just as Jonah became a sign to the people of Nineveh, so also the Son of Man will be for this generation. Wow. Note that Jesus also referred to Jonah in the same context as he refers to Solomon, King Solomon, the Queen of the South or the Queen of Sheba. You can go on and read more in Matthew chapter 12, verses 41 and 42. He places, Jesus places Jonah on the same level of historical fact as those two folks, which are easily proved by history. We could spend more time in that. We could have a class on that, but we won't. But it's clear, and Jesus is the prime witness of the reliability of the book. So it's a biblical prophetic narrative. It's also reliable and true and trustworthy and for us. And then just as a little more background, I want to get to kind of where and what. Where is this taking place? What's it all about? So we need to talk about Nineveh. How many of you heard of Nineveh? How many of you think Albuquerque is Nineveh? (laughs) Well, Nineveh was a great imperial city. It's important for you to note this. This is not like God telling Jonah to go to, I don't, I'm going to offend someone, I better be careful, to uh, Cuba or to Clayton or um, Bloom, I could say Bloomfield because since we live there, okay. No, Nineveh, great imperial city. It was a capital, there's more than one, a capital of Assyria. Maybe I'm getting your attention now. Assyria. Uh, Nineveh is located on the east bank of the Tigris River, about 555 miles north of the northern kingdom of Israel. Her population is estimated by many scholars to be about or at least 600,000 folks. Nineveh was not just a city. Nineveh was a fortress. It measured over 60 miles in circumference. Picture that. And Nineveh had a thick outer wall as well as an inner wall. If you know anything about history and wonders of the world, you know that Nineveh was a garden city, you'll know what that means, and was considered one of the great wonders of the world. Real place. Yet, Nineveh was cruel and wicked. Nineveh had a great history of aggression 
and atrocities. You see, Jonah was prophet enough. You may not think he was a great prophet, but Jonah was prophet enough to know something. To know that Nineveh meant, are you ready for this? Destruction, deportation, and doom to Israel. It was a big and constant threat. Destruction, deportation, and doom. Yet, God, the great God, the hero of the story, sends Jonah where? To Nineveh. Now, I think this is so applicable for us today. Uh, I've heard it said many times, maybe you even said it or thought it, we all probably have, that uh, I've heard it that, that this culture, our culture, is the worst ever. Have you ever heard that? I can't believe how bad our culture is the worst ever. But let me ask you this. Did you, have you ever lived in Nineveh? We get so, but church, listen to me. We get so bogged down on our culture sometimes that we think we must be superhero Christians just to get through the day. Listen, culture has been lost since the beginning. Culture has been evil. Once sin entered into the world, evil is present, right? This, the prince of the world, the devil, the schemes, the arrows, they're all there. And lots of times, if we really look, we can just go back and say, well, we're kind of like they were. We're not in this unique boat. We're all in the boat together. So try, try to remember that, folks. Despite all the problems... Here's what I want you to get. Despite all the evil, and it was bad, the brutality, despite it all, God does what? God reaches out to this evil, destructive city. With what? With his grace. Through the reluctant prophet Jonah. So let me remind you of the big idea again. God reaches out to us and his grace he shows it to all people. So let's jump in to Scripture. Reading verses 1, 2, and 3 this morning, chapter 1. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Get up. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it. Yipes. Because their wickedness has confronted me. You think about that phrase for a minute. For God to say that, the wickedness has confronted me. However, Jonah got up to flee. You might want to underline however. <laughs> Jonah got up to flee to Tarshish. Say that three times in a row. I'm going to mess that up in the next few weeks, I promise you. He, he got up to flee to Tarshish from the Lord's presence. Hmm. Power-packed verses. The first thing, two things I want to see today. The first thing is simply that first phrase. The word of the Lord, capital L-O-R-D. Jehovah, God, the covenantal name of God. The word, it's the word of the Lord. It's not someone writing something down. It's not some prophet scheming something up. It's not a committee that got together and thought about something. It says the word of the Lord came to Jonah. Can we get that? Before we do anything, we must note that it is God who spoke. Has God spoken to you this week? He has if you've read his word. He has if you spent time in prayer with him. Now, not out loud to me, 
And I'm reminded again, Steve Lawson told me years ago, you want to hear God speak out loud? Stand up, read the word out loud. <laughs> yeah. So the word of the Lord, God is the one who spoke. And it's interesting, he gives what I believe are three imperatives. We get to start off this study with three imperatives. What does that mean? Imperative means this. It's a non-negotiable item. You could even say command. It's non-negotiable. It's not, well, let me think about this, God. Well, God, if you knew I lived in Albuquerque, you might not ask me to do that. Well, God, it, it, you want to send me where? Well, God, if you sent me here, I would go, but, but not way over there. We could go on and on. God, you want me to share your glorious gospel with that guy? Well, wait a minute, God. I, I'll, I'll share with this one, but I don't know if I want to share with him. Listen, imperatives, non-negotiables. Number one is the one we miss lots of time. Look at it. He says, get up, exclamation point. Get up. That's the first imperative that God gives to Jonah. Now, Jonah must have been at ease. He must have been in a comfortable situation. And if you study Israel and you study the prophets, some have a little easier time than others, right? Can you imagine if you were Jeremiah? Oh, man. Years and years. Just horrendous things. But at this time, you know, probably pretty good life, things going on, let's not rock the boat here, and I think that's how Jonah, Jonah this prophet was. Get up, God says. Nineveh wasn't a concern of Jonah's. He wasn't thinking about going to Nineveh. I don't believe that evangelism was really on his mind. He was pretty good. Maybe he was coasting through. That prophet job was okay. You know, I'm only five years away from retirement. Life is good. No. God says, get up. I want to tell you something about get up. Get up is what I call preparatory work. Are you familiar with that? Lots of times we will just go do something without the prep that is required. Have you ever experienced that? It doesn't always go so well, does it? Sometimes there needs to be preparatory work. And in this case, God says, get up. There's preparatory work to be done. You see, we cannot go until we get up. Hello? I've met so many people who want to go for Jesus, but they, they don't get up. They don't take that step. How can I go until I get up? Think about that for a minute. God challenged Jonah to get up from his lackadaisical life. And I believe we are often in the same mode today that Jonah was in. Let me ask you this morning, what prep do you need? What prep work do you need to do in your life? What steps need to be taken? You know a principle that I've discovered? God tends to work more through those who are working and serving him actively and regularly. Have you noticed that? I don't know how many times I've counseled with someone and talked about, I just want God to work in my life. Well, is there any preparatory work? Nope. And then others, you go, man, just stuff all the time. God is working through that person because that person is taking those steps, stepping out on faith, doing what needs to be done. May we be more a people of faith who do the preparatory work, and sometimes it's as simply as taking that step. Do you need to join the church? Do it. Do you need to take a step and publicly profess Christ through baptism? Do it. 
Do you need to get involved in a class? Do it. Do you need to be praying about a lost person you need to share Christ with? Do it. Take those steps. Get up preparatory work. Second imperative, go. We pretty much know that one, don't we? That's all through Scripture. God's specific. He doesn't give this flow chart or this amazing plan that has a one, two, three, four, A, B, C, D, uh, you know, all that kind of stuff. He says, go. Basically, he's saying, get up and go. Get out of your comfort zone and go to wickedness, Jonah. Go to Nineveh. This, I believe, was a commission. Go. Now, we need to understand something, and we see in Scripture God will do the rest. And when God tells us to go, just like Jonah, he will do the rest. I can just picture Jonah, but God, it's a long trip. God, it's a dangerous trip. God, do you know who those people are? God, I don't like those people. You see, Nineveh was the capital of sin. Nineveh was this constant threat to Israel. Nineveh was known for their brutality. It must have been very difficult for the prophet Jonah to see himself, even see himself in the situation that he's in now. I believe this. We often don't go because we think the trip costs too much. Too much. What does ministry require? Almost always ministry requires getting our hands dirty. Life is messy. Anybody ever experienced that life can be messy? And let us not forget, lost people are acting like lost people. Don't be surprised by that. And life is going to be messy. Okay? Wow. I don't think we go sometimes because we want to we itemize what the trip is going to look like. We want pros and cons, all that kind of stuff. I want to tell you something, church. I want to tell Lamar something this morning. If we do not go, we are disobedient. It's an imperative. It's non-negotiable. Get up. Go. And then the third imperative, have you figured it out yet? Preach. Here's what you're going to do. God didn't just tell Jonah where to go, but also what to do there. I might be like Jonah. I might have been a little more comfortable if he said, go and be a spy. Check things out. This was not even a humanitarian mission. Nothing wrong with those. Go, maybe a medical mission or some other humanitarian, whatever. Hey, maybe I can get away with that. Uh-uh. Preach. He was to go and preach. That's an interesting word here in the Hebrew. Picture this, if you will. To cry or call out by name. So he was to go and preach. He was to go and cry out and call out by name to a very lost spiritual condition. So the first idea is cry out. It's a risk always, but we need to do that. We cry out that Jesus saves. We cry out that God loves you. We cry out John 3.16. We go on and on and on. We cry that out. But also to call out. Listen, there is a better way, right? There's meaning and purpose to life. You, we don't say it this way. You need to get your act together and discover Jesus. 
But that's what we're kind of saying when we say repent, right? The scripture tells us that. Repent, repent, repent. So this is the what that Jonah was to do. This is the most important mission that God can give us. And I would ask you this this morning. Do we seek to share Jesus? Do we ever call for people to repent and trust in Jesus? Don't get hung up by the word preach. I wish the word preach wasn't in Scripture like it is because people think the preacher preaches. What it's talking about here is anyone who will say a word about God, anyone who will share the gospel, anyone who will share their testimony. Every time we do any of those things, we're preaching, aren't we? We're crying out and we're calling out. Wow. So the question I have always is why? Why? I love to ask that question. Why? You know, usually the answer is, well, it's how we've always done it before, right? You've heard that. But why? Why? Did you catch in verse 2 the amazing phrase? It says this at the end of 2. Because, talking about Nineveh, their wickedness has confronted me. That's what the word of the Lord says. It's so bad, if you will, that God was confronted with their wickedness. The all-knowing God is confronted with their wickedness. It reminds me of another place. Do you remember Sodom and Gomorrah? Same idea. In fact, if you'll study history and look at it, their, their torture is so brutal that I, I really can't even talk about it today. Some of the stuff they did, I, I wouldn't even talk about with kids in the room. But you could study that and look at that. It's so wicked that God is confronted with it. It's so brutal. E even if you look at Jonah chapter 3, verse 8, we even see commentary from the king of Nineveh. Furthermore, both man and beast must be covered with sackcloths, and everyone must call out earnestly to God. Each must turn, here it is, from his evil ways and from doing the violence he is doing. That's the king of Nineveh saying that. They knew. This is why. Jonah was to present a message of judgment and restoration or repentance towards this evil. This is very instructive for me, and I want us to remember this today. No one's wickedness is hidden from God. God is confronted with your wickedness, with mine. We call it sin, right? In God's eyes, sin is sin, right? For us here on earth, yes, there's certain sins that have grave consequences. There are certain sins that cost more than others. The Bible talks about sins of the body and, and what scars they leave. And, and sometimes we like to rank things. But with God, sin is sin. Isn't that right? I want us to remember that. And no one's wickedness is hidden from God. God sees it all. There's always going to be time of warning and pending judgment. In fact, I'm grateful when God does that in my life. Why? Because he is a loving father who cares about me and wants to discipline me and wants to complete the good work he has begun in me and wants me to be conformed into the likeness of Jesus Christ more tomorrow than I am today. Guys, we're on the same journey together, aren't we? Maybe a different spot on the path, but we are becoming more and more like Jesus, more and more sanctified, all those kind of things to think about. So there's always going to be times of this. Simple. 
We're to go and preach, to cry out, to call out. Now, Jonah's message was not to be wishy-washy. Maybe you've been there before, I have. You kind of beat around the bush, you kind of sugarcoat, instead of just saying, you know, the Bible says all have sinned and missed the mark, and God hates sin, but God has a rescue plan. Lots of times we just jump in with the rescue plan. But he's not to be wishy-washy. His message is to be one of of judgment. We'll see it in chapter 3. And here's what's interesting. Starting right out, we can see is that Jonah was not wanting to do this. He would have none of this. I think there's a principle here for us. It's called the go principle, the principle of the go, the great commission. We're not going to read it, but you know Matthew 28, 19, and 20. We're to go and make disciples, right? Jesus' words. Did you know the word go occurs 49 times in the book of Acts? And really the name is what? The Acts of the Apostles. It's a great book to study as the church is getting going, as Christianity is spreading. Go, go, go all over the place. And each time somebody went, it paid off. And I believe that's true for us. Let me ask you a difficult question this morning. How long has it been since you rose above your convenient life and reached out to somebody without Christ? We're just like Jonah, church. We're comfortable, things are convenient, and we need to be inconvenienced and step out and share Christ with someone who does not have Christ. Let me ask you another question. Do you want others to know about God's rescue plan? I really believe that that carnal thing in us, that sin that's in us, sometimes, and you may disagree, but sometimes I think if we really evaluate, we're not that concerned about that person, are we? Or we would do something. I'm not calling you prejudice. That could be accurate for a number of Christians. But I just want you to think about this. I think Jonah didn't really care about Nineveh that much. In fact, some commentators would go so far as to say what? He didn't want these pagans to be saved. Wow. I think there's a little bit of that in us. There needs to be urgency. Listen to Hebrews chapter 9, verses 27 and 28. Whenever that pops into your mind, and, and it does for me, whenever you think about, man, I need to go. I need to take the step. I need to do this. Remember these verses, Hebrews 9, 27 and 28. And just as it, just as it is appointed for man to die once, and after that comes judgment. That's how we need to view folks. So Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time, not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for us. There's going to come a day when we no longer can get up, go, and preach. When Jesus comes back, it's done. Yes, Scripture says in Philippians, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess, but it will be too late. Everyone will recognize that Jesus is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Jesus is the Savior, the Messiah, the Lord. But after he returns, it's too late to make that decision because he's coming back for those who are eagerly waiting for him, those who are called Christians, Christ followers. Well, let's move on to verse 3, and we'll wrap up today. However, that's an important word. However, Jonah got up 
to flee to Tarshish from the Lord's presence. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. He paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish from the Lord's presence. I call this the fleeing, and we'll look at it more next week. This, I believe, in studying Scripture, this is the only occasion in the Old Testament where a prophet, God's prophet, refused to do the will of God. Think about that for a minute. God told Jonah to go, and he went all right, didn't he? In the opposite direction. Now picture this for a minute. I'm visual, and I just picture the scene. Jonah heads to what he thought was the opposite end of the earth. Some of you know about flat earth and all that, and if you've studied things, he's probably thinking, Tarshish is as far as I could go without... Let me get as far away from Nineveh as I can. Wow. Scholars and historians tell us that Tarshish was towards the coast of Spain, actually down near near Gibraltar, over 2,000 miles to the west. That is a long way back in those days. Why the reluctance to do God's will? Jonah, why would you be reluctant to do God's will? Hmm, I think there's a few things. He knew the task would be difficult. Jot this down, Nahum 3, 1 through 4. Nahum 3, 1 through 4 gives commentary on what a really wicked situation Nineveh is. Secondly, I think Jonah was okay with them receiving judgment from God. Wow. How hard we can get sometimes. And number three, it was what he had to do. He had to go and not hand out food, but to preach. Judgment, you better repent. So we can relate to this because we often struggle with God's will. We struggle with God's commission, the Great Commission. Notice something else in verse 3. Jonah paid to go. Did you catch that? He paid a fare. (laughs) Jonah had no problem making his own way, even if it cost money. And don't we do that? Sometimes we make decisions that cost us money, don't we? And we look back and say, if I would have just done God's way, I could have avoided all this stuff. So Jonah is willing to go his own way. There's no refund. It's going to cost him, and he's willing to do that. How often are we faced with circumstances that seem difficult to us, and we decide we will make our own way. Even sometimes we decide we will make our own truth. Don't we see that today? We will just go ahead and do that. I think we're like Jonah in that we oftentimes are impulsive. And let me remind you of a principle in Scripture. Our sin always costs us a bunch. Has that happened in your life? Man, that has happened in my life. How sin can cost us so much. And I'm not just talking about financially. I'm talking about in every way. It is expensive to step outside of the will of God. I'm telling you, it is in many, many different ways. So we see in verse 3 that not only is uh, Jonah refusing and fleeing, not only is he paying, he's fleeing from what? It was listed twice. Did you catch it? From the presence of the Lord. Jonah went so far to go, he went down inside a ship to get away from the presence of the Lord. Now, I want us to think about that word for a minute. That word literally means face. To get away from the face of Jehovah. To get away, again, it says, from the face of Jehovah. Or Jehovah's face. Or so he thought. 
Let me share a little secret with you. Did you know it is not possible for us to run from the face of God? Did you know it's not possible? You online this morning, did you know? You, you can't run from the presence of the Lord. If you remember in January, we had a life celebration Sunday, and we looked at the whole entire Psalm 139, and I just want to read to you verses 7 through 10. You can read Psalm 139 again if you're thinking you might be able to run from God. Can't be done. Listen to Psalm 139, 7 through 10. The psalmist says this, I can never escape from your spirit. I can never get away from your presence. If I go up to the heaven, you are there. If I go down to the grave, you are there. If I ride the wings of the morning, if I dwell by the farthest oceans, Jonah, even there your hand will guide me and your strength will support me. Jonah could not outrun an omnipresent God. Neither can you or me. Church, I believe this is an ongoing issue for humans. How many of you would say this morning, you're a human? Let me just see. So everyone that didn't raise their hand wasn't listening. We're all homo sapiens. We're humans, right? This has always been a problem. You remember our first parents? What were their names? Adam and Eve. Okay? They tried running from the face of God, the presence of God. Listen to Genesis 3.8. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife, that's our parents, Adam and Eve, hid themselves from the, there's the word, presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. This has been a problem from the moment sin entered the world, and it's a still a problem in 2021 right here in Albuquerque, New Mexico. We have a tendency to think we can run from God or from His will. We cannot run from God. Let me close in this way. We will never succeed in running from God. You see, God can use a great fish if He wants to. God can use a great storm, which we'll see, if he wants to. God can use anything else. He, he is creator. Anything else he wants to use to get our attention. And perhaps you're wondering about your life today and you're just thinking, God, it's really not exactly how I am picturing. Is God trying to get your attention? Perhaps he is. Let me just, I wasn't going to share this, but I want to share this, just a personal testimony. I thought moving would be easy. <laughs> Why are you laughing? <laughs> we make this great investment to move over to this side, right? If you don't know, that is an investment. Have you seen the market lately? And then we decide to renovate. Now, I like remodeling, I like renovating, I like doing that kind of stuff. But the timelines are all messed up, if you know anything about that. First of all, prices are rising. Secondly, you can't get cabinets when you want to. And then when they say they're going to come, they're not going to come then. Thirdly, and this was the one that got me, and here's my testimony, you can't get the flooring you want until May 18th. Well, you're moving into the house on May 15th. May 18th is too late. How are you going to move everything in without flooring? I like concrete. I like plywood. But I would prefer luxury vinyl planks, okay? So what happens? you got to go pick out another one. Hopefully it will be as good as the one you wanted. Colors, that's a little more lens thing. But I'm like, I don't know, hopefully it's 
kind of grayish and gray. It matches gray, right? Evidently, there's a lot of shades of gray. And I'm not talking about a book or anything, all right? Yeah. So not only do I have to reorder to get one in in time, it's a nicer, more expensive product. And I just want to tell you, I began to have a pity party. No, really. I, I, I began to maybe be a little depressed, to be a little grumpy. Some of you might think I'm always that way, but I'm not. To, to doubt things, just my plan is not working, God. My timeline is not working, God. And God revealed to me in Scripture over and over, it's not about you. It's about me. Ministry will occur in this house someday. The investment will pay off. It's not your plan. It's not your will. It's not your skills or lack thereof. It is about me. And I really had to have an adjustment. What about for you today? See, I wasn't running from God, but I think basically I was beginning to try to run God. We'll get to that. That gets good at the end of the book. But think about that for a minute. See, God can use anything to get our attention, and I think he used those timelines to get my attention. Church, if we do the will of God, it will save us a lot of headaches and heartaches. If we quit trying to control everything and let God be in control, it will be a major, major difference. Listen, church, imperatives. We got to get up. We got to go. We got to preach. Remember this. God reaches out to us. He shows grace to all. Would you bow your heads? Let's pray. I'm going to ask you a couple questions. I want you to respond just right where you are. Would you get quiet? Bow your heads just means get alone with God. Don't worry about the person next to you. Don't worry about what, what's going on anywhere else. Don't worry about the, the, the clock. We're doing okay. Just focus on God for a minute. I'm going to ask a few questions before I pray. I want to pray for you. Are any of you a little bit like me and maybe... You've been wanting to run things. What is God saying to you this morning? Is God saying to you, get in the center of my will? If God's, every head bowed, if God's saying that to you, would you just lift your hand up? I want to see. Look at that. I want to pray for you. We're in the same boat. God, I want to be in the center of your will. I've been doing my own way. Let me ask another question this morning, church. Has God spoken to your heart today about a Ninevite in your life? And by that I mean, is there someone who's lost in your life that it is God's will for you to let them know that his grace is for them? If God's laid someone on your heart, would you just lift your hand? Wow. Perhaps the most important question this morning is this. Do you know God? You see, the first part of getting up, 
is to repent, to turn from the way you have been going, to turn from your sin and run to God and say, God, I know you are the God of forgiveness, of mercy. You're the God who saves. God, I would plead with you. I repent. I confess my sin. Would you do that this morning? The scripture is clear. That all who call upon the name of the Lord, that really mean it, they, they really repent and turn and trust Jesus, scripture says you will be saved. Let's pray. God, today, I want to pray for those online, for those in this room that perhaps are wrestling right now with a relationship with you. And God, I want to pray that you would save people today. God, that people would run to you. And for that first transformative time to trust, to place their faith in you, realizing you sent, see, you sent your son, Jesus, to die for their sin. God, help them. Help their heart to be, Lord, I know I'm a sinner. I, I bring and give that to you. I, I confess, I repent it. I want your way and not my way. I trust you with all that I am. Please, save me, forgive me. Take over my life, be boss. If you would pray that prayer and sincerely mean it, God will do that work in your life. God, I want to pray for others who have someone that's burdening on their heart. That we would not just get up, but we would go. We would take whatever the next step is this week as we share your grace, your plan, your rescue plan with others. God, help us. And God, some of us just need a little tweak would you bring us back into the center of your will? Maybe we're on the fringe of your will or we're, doing, we're, we're reluctantly going on, but going on, but God, help us to be excited and expectant to be in the center of your will. God, I am grateful that as we pray, as we're joined together, you are here in our presence. You hear and you respond, you command us to ask and to seek you and even to knock. And we're doing that, God, and we pray that you would save today, that you would change lives, that you would readjust, recommit lives. That, God, through Jonah, we would see who we are and that we would see, more importantly, who you are. So, God, thank you for this time together. We pray all this in the name of Jesus. Amen.